Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Belarus president says Wagner Group leader Prigozhin has returned to Russia. I think Putin frankly has his hands full with Prigozhin. Hunter Biden's lawyers attempt to discredit the IRS whistleblowers. These are these are the attacks that are going on and the narrative is being carried into the press. Meta launches threats, a competitor to Twitter, and Elon Musk is threatening a lawsuit. Meta really saw an opportunity to strike fast. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, July 7th. I'm Tasha Stevens. In a strange turn of events on Thursday, Belarus President Alexander Lukashenko announced to reporters that Wagner mercenary boss Yevgeny Prigozhin was back in Russia. Almost two weeks ago, Prigozhin and his mercenary forces turned from their positions on the battlefield in Ukraine and marched to within 100 miles of Moscow in an apparent mutiny that fizzled out. The reasons that Prigozhin was unsuccessful remain unclear to many military experts as a deal was reached between President Putin and Prigozhin. That deal included Prigozhin moving to Belarus. Retired General Richard Newton believes that Prigozhin's return to Russia may signal that cracks in Putin's power over Moscow are worsening. Lots of questions here, uh, very few answers. Uh, the president of Belarus stated that uh, Prigozhin is no longer in Belarus and supposedly he's uh, he's landed back in Russia. Uh, but it does. It's interesting because you know, Prigozhin is a fairly uh, popular figure, at least according to my analysis, in Russia. I and mean, he carries a following and so forth. And he's got uh, apparently some of the influencers that are within the political power base of Russia. Uh, uh, giving him some monicum of support as well. So I think Putin, frankly, has his hands full with Prigozhin uh, now back in Russia and in a position where at least he's 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 neutralized. He's not necessarily carrying out any mutiny or any type of other nefarious activity that we saw on the 24th of June. But nonetheless, it's uh, it's it's very interesting, and it, it really has a lot to do with what's internally happening within uh, Russian politics. It also addresses. Uh, perhaps a, a, a little bit of a hit against Putin's power base and his leadership and, and certainly some of his judgment. So this is this is still unfolding, but still, I think, significant. Newton points out that optics are very important to Putin and suggests that the Russian president may simply be trying to control the narrative around his political strength. I think so. It may be just that. And the fact that the Russian news agency, uh, however, came forward uh, earlier today and said, you know, we're not, we're not really tracking Prigozhin. Uh, it's not not a matter of really our overarching concern. So they're trying to make it into something perhaps smaller than it is. But as you know, and we talked about this on air a number of times, the, the Russian uh, and particularly Putin is all about controlling the message and controlling the information that flows to especially the domestic audience in Russia. But he's also very focused on what information flows outside of Russia. And so he's he wants to make sure that his, uh, his allies out there, China, uh, Iran, and perhaps even uh, somewhat neutral India, if you will, uh, we understand that he's he's still very much in control in this 
Prigozhin guy is not really, you know, having a major factor on him. The retired general believes that Putin may be allowing Prigozhin back inside Russia in order to keep a closer eye on him. Well, it, it's probably a matter of maybe Putin allowing that to happen. Again, this is just pure speculation on my part. We really don't know. Uh, but the fact that he's back in in Russia, if, if I was Putin, I think I'd rather have him inside of Russia versus outside of Russia. Uh, the fact that he is uh, has got some still monicum of, of, of capabilities and those 25 to 30,000 Wagner troops. Uh, and so I think he's, he's paying relatively close attention to this, but not necessarily making it a major ordeal. I'm talking about from Putin's perspective on having Prigozhin still, uh, you know, somewhat secure inside of Russia. As for Prigozhin, Newton thinks that the Wagner Group's leader is weighing his options for the survival of his mercenary force. Well, it tells me that he's trying to, uh, again, he's trying to look for options. Uh, as I mentioned, there's 25 or 30,000 Wagner forces, not necessarily just in Russia or even small numbers in Belarus, but, you know, in places perhaps like Syria and Africa and so forth. It is a, uh, it's, it's a paramilitary force. Uh, and so uh, the fact that he is aligning himself or trying to find a home, if you will, for some of those troops, perhaps not necessarily just all in Russia, but put them in Belarus. Uh, he could find a, a friend in the Belarusian president and so forth that they put training camps together. I think it really adds a couple options to to Prigozhin as he tries to play out what this unknown future for him is, not only for him personally, but what this means for the Wagner forces and so forth. Newton also weighs in on the news that Russian fighter jets were disrupting the flights of several U.S. drones in the Middle East. Well, it's not the first time. Uh, you know, back in March, I believe March 14th, there were two Su-27 fighter jets that was harassing an MQ-9 drone, a U.S. Air Force drone over the Black Sea, and ended up actually forcing the drone to crash. In this case, what's happened just Several hours or so ago, you've got uh, a couple of Su-35 Russian uh, fighters that are harassing three of our MQ-9 drones who are participating in operations against ISIS. And so as you see on that, I've, I've seen the entire video. It's, it's rather tense, rather chilling. Uh, they're dropping flares and they're putting they're, they're putting in their afterburner engines in front of the drones and so forth. It's, uh, Kelly, it's very unsafe and it's unprofessional. And I can say this firsthand. I flew with the Russian Air Force um, and I can understand, uh, you know, that they are, there is some unprofessionalism and their their idea of safety and so forth is is not necessarily uh, paramount like it is in, in modern air forces or such as the United States Air Force. The whereabouts of Prigozhin or his Wagner fighters cannot be independently confirmed. Russian media has claimed Prigozhin was seen in St. Petersburg this week as part of agreements that allowed him to settle some of his affairs there. It's been a deadly year for Israeli civilians. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has more on the story. Janine in northern uh, Samaria uh, has basically become a no-man's land. Former Israeli ambassador to the U.S. Dr. Michael Lauren says the Palestinian Authority has lost control in that region. And terrorist groups, some of them known, some of them not lesser known, have taken over. And Oren says are using the region to launch a steady stream of terrorist attacks against Israeli civilians. 34 Israelis have been killed in terrorist attacks since the beginning uh, of the year. The attacks normally involve individuals who murder Israelis with knives, cars, and guns. Dr. Oren was interviewed by the Salem Radio Network. Bob Agner reporting. Lawyers for Hunter Biden, the son of the president, have gone on offense in a bid to portray IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley as a partisan leaker. 
In addition to calling the House Republicans' investigation into the Biden family businesses as an obsession with attacking the Bidens. This is Abby Lowell. This is Hunter Biden's attorney kind of going after you. He said the following, quoting here, various leaders of the House and its committees have discarded the established protocols of Congress, rules of conduct, and even the law in what can only be called an obsession with attacking the Biden family. These interviews were orchestrated recitations of mischaracterized and incomplete facts by disgruntled agents who believe they knew better than the federal prosecutors. Shapley is one of two IRS whistleblowers who alleged that there was heavy interference from the Justice Department and Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss's probe into Hunter Biden's business dealings. Now Shapley's lawyer is countering the efforts to discredit his client. Mark Little is the attorney for Gary Shapley, and he says the false accusations against his client are being repeated in the media. These attacks are really nothing more than just character assassination. Um, Special Agent Shapley has gone through the process, the legal process of disclosing and becoming a whistleblower. He went to Capitol Hill. He sat for uh, hours of testimony, questioned by Democrats and Republicans, taking their turns, whatever topics they wanted to get into, they could ask him. He was under the penalties of being prosecuted uh, for false statements if he gave a false statement. And, you know, these are these are the attacks that are going on. And the narrative is being carried into the press Mm -hmm. in The Washington Post. Little says that in spite of their challenge to outlets like The Washington Post, they continue to release defamatory allegations against Shapley. The Washington Post carries a story about uh, Abby Lowell's letter and the allegations that our client is an illegal leaker. And he cites to this October 6, 2022 letter that describes a leak and a leak from the agents or from someone, you know, with knowledge. So mm-hmm. we wrote a letter to the Washington Post and we're so confident that our client was not the leaker that we submitted an affidavit to the Washington Post saying um, he authorizes anyone at the Washington Post, including the authors, Devlin Barrett, Perry Stein, that they can with they can disclose his name as a source. He knows he's not. So yeah. we want them to say He's not the source. But what do they do? They don't do that. They republish the story and republish the allegations that are that are baseless and groundless by Abby Lowell. Peter Schweizer is a political consultant and writer, and he joins the Salem Radio Network and lays out why he believes the IRS whistleblowers are telling the truth about Hunter Biden's business dealings. They've shifted the goalposts so many times. In 2018, the first thing was there were no business deals in China. Then it became, well, he had business deals in China, but he made no money. Then it switched to, okay, he made money, but Joe Biden never talked to his son about his business dealings. Now it has evolved, as you said, to saying, well, he did not participate uh, in his uh, in his son's business dealings. All of those are inaccurate and falsehoods. Um, all you have to do is look and ask the question, what was Hunter Biden's business? Uh, they took in tens of millions of dollars from these overseas entities There's no tangible service or product that they were selling, and yet the money kept coming. And the the reason the money kept coming is is because the product was Joe Biden. We know that Joe Biden met with and talked with his business partners. We know that Joe Biden received some of the money through Hunter in terms of Hunter paying for things for his lifestyle. So he was absolutely an active participant. Schweitzer says he believes there's a bigger problem than simply the Biden family allegedly taking bribes. It's not just a question of the corruption. It's, as you said, who's giving them the money. If you look at China, you look at the three businessmen that landed the biggest deals for Hunter Biden, totaling some $31 million dollars. 
Each and every one of them has ties to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence. Uh, and that's not hyperbole. Uh, one guy, Henry Zhao, that wired $5 million to Hunter Biden, wired it from an account in Hong Kong that he shared with the family of the former Minister of State Security, who ran the entire spy apparatus of China. The same sort of things applies to all the businessmen. So yeah, this is not just about corruption. This has all the hallmarks of a Chinese effort to recruit or influence or develop compromise on the first family of the United States. And that makes it a national security and espionage question, not just a corruption one. This comes as the White House is still coping with an investigation into the source of a bag of cocaine, which was found on the premises. And now the White House is changing their story yet again as to the location of where the cocaine was found. Audio from firefighters who arrived first on the scene said the cocaine was found in the library. The White House said it was in another area. Now they're saying that it was found near the White House's executive entrance, not in the lobby where they previously said it was found. Some suspect that the cocaine may have belonged to Biden's son, Hunter. Hunter Biden has a long history of drug use. He has admitted to crack cocaine usage in the past, and he has documented that usage via videotape. Donald Trump's valet enters a not guilty plea in the classified documents case. More on this from Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Cluxton. Walt Nada was charged alongside the former president in a 38-count indictment alleging the mishandling of classified documents. The special counsel's indictment accuses Nada of conspiring with Trump to conceal records that the former president had taken with him from the White House. Specifically, he's accused of moving boxes of documents bearing classification markings in an effort to hide them. Nada has hired a Florida-based lawyer to represent him. Greg Clugston, Washington. On Wednesday evening, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, the parent company of Facebook, launched a competitor to Twitter with Threads. Uh, We are launching Threads, an open and friendly public space for conversations. I am looking forward to uh, the fun journey ahead to turn this into the the kind of big and friendly community that I think we all want to see in the world. Zuckerberg says that Threads reception has been pretty positive thus far. He claims the app has already hosted over 30 million users in 24 hours. I think they see a real opportunity. We are headed into an election cycle. This is the battle for our information, for where conversations take place. For a long time, Twitter has been the public square of the Internet. And Meta wants to own that, be in charge have more of our information because it is where people are having dialogues rather than sharing photos. And keep in mind, we have the public frustration after Twitter announced this week, they're limiting the amount of tweets you can see in a day. And then there's the internal chaos of the mass layoffs, the glitches that have been happening more persistently on the app. So Meta really saw an opportunity to strike fast after developing this app only six months ago. But there are also reports that censorship is already beginning, with conservative Post being censored. Twitter is not happy with threads either. On Thursday afternoon, Twitter threatened to sue Meta over the new app, claiming the company has violated Twitter's intellectual property rights. The letter reads in part, quote, We have serious concerns that Meta Platforms has engaged in systematic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property. Twitter intends to strictly enforce its intellectual property rights, end quote. 
In response to the letter, Meadows Communications Director Andy Stone posted on threads that there are no engineers on the team that previously worked at Twitter. Can you get a job if you want one? Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley has an answer to that question. The number of open jobs slipped in May, but there are still a lot of jobs available. The labor market remains resilient. Employers posted 9.8 million jobs in May, down from 10.3 million in April. There were fewer layoffs and more Americans quit their jobs, a sign they feel they can find other jobs with better pay or working conditions. For quite a while now, economists have been talking about a possible recession this year, but the job market's sturdiness has raised doubts about whether a downturn is inevitable. I'm Rita Foley. The owner of the submersible that imploded during a dive to the Titanic is no longer in business. Daybreak Insider's Mike Hempen has more on the fallout from the OceanGate tragedy. OceanGate, the company that owned the Titan submersible that's believed to have imploded as it made its descent in the North Atlantic, has suspended all exploration and commercial operations. That's according to a message on its website. Last month's implosion killed all five people on board, including Stockton Rush, the pilot and CEO of OceanGate. OceanGate is based in the U.S., and OceanGate Expeditions, a related company that led the Titan's dives to the Titanic, is registered in the Bahamas. The Coast Guard is investigating the implosion. I'm Mike Hempen. And finally, if you ever wanted to experience a flying car like the Jetsons, you may get your wish sooner than you think. Aleph Aeronautics, based in San Mateo, California, has developed a flying car that can travel on both roadways and in the air. Their Model A flying car has now received an approval from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. We may be one step closer to living like the Jetsons as the FAA gives a go-ahead for a flying car to begin test flights. Aleph Aeronautics is aiming to deliver its $300,000 electric Model A to customers by late 2025. Flying cars have long been a fixation of science fiction, from the Jetsons to Blade Runner and Back to the Future. So could the fantasy really become a reality? The company envisions the car, which cost roughly $300,000, saving individuals time during the commutes with the ability to fly over stop traffic and accidents on the roads. Tech reporter Mike Muse explains how the flying car will work. So they have eight propellers, four on each side. Uh, what makes this one so unique is that it has a vertical elevation, and so it can lift off by literally just sitting in a space, lift off vertically. Like a helicopter? Like a helicopter. And also, too, it has forward motion. What makes this one so unique, too, as well, is that it can actually be driven on the ground as well, where other flying cars who have submitted applications for the FAA can only fly. But this one can do both ground and and in the air, and it can also park. Muse says he's impressed with the technology. They're also, too, looking at doing autonomous driving, too, as well, with this first mile of vehicle. The first vehicle is only going to sit two passengers. They are looking to expand down the road with possibly having up to four passengers. Currently, right now, the car only can go 25 miles per hour in the air with a distance of 200 total, but with 100 that being in the air. So a fascinating technological feat, I must say. Aleph's Model A is also touted as a clean energy vehicle with a hydrogen option that may be available for purchase at a higher price.
Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Tasha Stevens.